This is the Canadian Passive and Active Real Estate Podcast, investing and wealth building with Connie Buna and Roland Kim. Awesome, gang. We're going to be talking to you about investing. I'm here with Roland Kim, investing genius, some might say. (laughs) And partner, I've got some hard questions to ask you today. I want to talk about 14 financial habits to master. And I feel like you have a lot of nuggets to share. So let's just get right into it. These are some key things you can learn and key things that you can set yourself up for as you're embarking on a journey of investment. These are good financial habits to learn at any point in your life. You're never, ever, ever too far down the road to learn these habits. Partner, what is financial habit number one? Net balance sheet. What is that? So it's a simple document. Imagine going to um, a bank to get a mortgage or get a loan. And so they want to understand what are your assets, what are your liabilities, and what's your net value at the end of it. And so it's, I don't know, I started this maybe six, seven years ago, and I look forward to hearing when you and Taryn started that a little while ago. But it becomes exciting after a while where we, every month as a family, we're updating this document that is outlining um, what we owe and mm-hmm. what we have. Mm-hmm. And um, first of all, it makes sure that, you know, we're, we're allocating assets in the right place, that yes. um, we're paying our bills, but it also lets you track. And um, it's pretty darn awesome going back four or five years and seeing like, wow, you know, five years ago I had this and mm-hmm. we kept working hard, put money aside, we invested it and our net balance kept growing. Mm-hmm. And you'd be surprised how many people have never done this in their life. And I think this is often referred to as your your net worth yes. statement. So just a different way of framing it. So you do it monthly? Monthly, yeah. Okay. What and about you? I'm going to avoid that question for one minute. <laughs> when you're doing it monthly, are you like, do you actively look literally at your mortgage balances monthly? Um, if I have that much time, I will periodically, like multiple times a year, I will update the mortgage ones. Okay. And if you, technically, if you wanted to do it perfectly, that's that's the concept. Mm-hmm. You know, a really nice thing for me and my partner is um, it gives us an opportunity to sit down and, and, you know, break some bread and have a glass of wine and discuss our net worth. And mm-hmm. for my wife, it's really important because sometimes she's so busy with her job, her world and the kids mm-hmm. that she is not involved in the day-to-day operations of our investment properties, of my real estate brokerage and the real estate sales. And so it brings her back to understand where we at with our finances. That's such an important piece. So, you know, as I think about my family's journey on this, on this piece here and the idea of doing a a net worth sheet, I remember when I was first married. And so I did this very early on in my relationship with my wife. We've been married eight years. We've been together 10 and we both came into our relationships as adults coming from previous relationships. Easy now. And it was never something I had ever done before. Um, And I didn't, and I acknowledge very honestly that I I come from a fairly blue collar background and these financial tools and and habits were not taught to me. And that's no slight on my, my own family. I don't think that they were taught to my parents either. And so I can remember sitting down with a money coach in 2013 and 2013 in my own personal journey was one of the hardest years of my career and we did a net worth statement and it was really interesting and it also set a very interesting marker for the growth 
that has come from that place. And so while I'm not diligently doing it on a monthly basis, you <laughs> inspiration to us all, it is something that now we're doing, I would say we're probably doing it on a biannual or, or even if optimistically on a quarterly basis, but it is a part of our regular family check-ins. And we just had a conversation last night about one piece that I think you touched on that is so important, especially if you're embarking on this investment journey in a partnership. It's the idea that your partner actually might not have line of sight totally. into many components of this world. And especially for ourselves when we're coming at it, when we are actually in the industry of real estate, many of the conversations and many of the opportunities that we're evaluating, we're, we're often evaluating before we've even presented the opportunity to our partners. Yes. And so the idea of incorporating it into a date night and having it be an opportunity to kind of get into alignment is so awesome. Yes. And what do you say to somebody, how does somebody do this activity if they're, you know, sort of the, the lone wolf investor, the solo investor, what's a way that they could establish sort of a habit of evaluation here? Find an accountability partner. There's cool. so many people out there, so many cool. different organizations and investing groups that want that. Perfect. So easy to find. Nice. So that's, that's uh, financial habit. Number one, know your net worth. Number two, avoid credit. And it sounds funny me wow. saying it considering how many mortgages we have. You're the king of smoke and mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> but what I mean by that is the goal. My goal is not to pay any interest mm -hmm. other than on my mortgage mm -hmm. or good business loans. Okay. And, um, you know, early on, I personally naturally didn't have this challenge. Like I'm a pretty frugal person. I grew up on a farm. I always kind of spent less than I made, but that's not the case with a lot of people. So a lot of people are spending more possibly than they make, and that's something that needs to be addressed. So mm -hmm. until you get to a point where you always have savings left over, yep. pay things with cash or debit cards until you set that habit. Mm -hmm. And again, only start using credit cards if you can pay it off every single month. Paying it to zero. Paying it to zero. And yep. so there's a fallacy out there of like, oh, I use credit cards because so many points. The points are not worth paying interest. Yes. So like- Points are great and it's a freebie if you can get, you know, a free toaster from time to time. Mm -hmm. um, in your case, it's sunglasses. I think you've gotten like so many sunglasses. I know. I, I haven't seen you wear those sunglasses I got you for I Christmas. Know. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so pay off your credit card. Okay. And if you can't pay off your credit card every month, don't use a credit card. Go back to cash and set habits. Okay. And you got to get to a point where you're internalizing your budget. It's kind of like if you want to lose weight, you want to get to a point where you're not calorie counting, but you roughly know that you're in the range you need to be that you have consumed less calories in this case that you've spent less money mm -hmm. than you've made. Great. And so you really need to understand how much your life costs based on where you are mm -hmm. and what's important to you. And you got to work within those boundaries. Okay. It might feel natural to go to habit number four and then habit number three next. Sure. But I mean, it's just me. You're messing up my system. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Budgets. Yes. Create a budget. Yes. But it doesn't have to be so... Um, like rigid, rigid. Okay. But create a budget. Like it gets easier as you do it more often. So create a budget and what it really helps you avoid is impulse buys. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's those moments where you feel like you're down or you feel like you're happy and you're up and you're entitled to something. And so it avoids you making poor decisions at a time of weakness. Okay. And then the budget, you know, the three levels of budget that I always follow is I always pay myself first. Then I make sure that I pay all the expenses that we have. 
And then whatever's left over early on in my budgeting process, we literally had different bank accounts. And yes. very early we had different chars for, you know, this was the travel, this was the night out. This was like, yes. I still haven't bought my boat, but I have a boat jar. Mm -hmm. I'm going to buy a nice fishing boat in mm -hmm. a few years. Mm -hmm. And so you allocate it. And yes. so that way you don't feel like you're giving up in life and it's starch and empty and basic. It's more you are structured and you're taking care of the now while being, you know, really confident that the future is going to be taken care of. Are you ready to build your real estate portfolio? It starts with taking the first step. Call the Home Happy team for a free review of your financial situation and let us start to build your financing plan. Our team's experience, technology, and lender connections will allow you to build what you may not think is possible. We will look at all the options open to you and mix those with your dreams and goals to build the perfect mortgage strategy for your next step. With the Home Happy team helping you, your future starts now. One of the things I think also that a budget does is it empowers you to understand where your money is going. And so you touched on the idea and the concept of different accounts. And in some uh, times in our lives, it looks like different jars. And maybe for yeah. our grandparents, it was literally money in different envelopes. That was one of the fundamental things that we did when we met with that money coach many years ago was we opened up a number of different bank accounts with a financial institution where it was totally free to have multiple accounts. And we use that primary account as a sort of a holding account and then dropping money into the variety of accounts so that we never have a panic feeling, for example, when I get the tax bill to yeah. pay the, the property taxes, or when you get your annual insurance bill, you don't have to be shocked by that bill rolling around because it's a predictable bill. Yes. And it's something that has been a huge game changer, certainly in my life. One of the things that I think is important to acknowledge, you know, the idea of avoiding the impulse buys. I think that there is an importance around being able to have an account that allows you to celebrate. It's the like, I'm having a sad day. I need to go buy some new shoes account, potentially. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm speaking for myself. <laughs> But how would you address that? Is that is that just you you give yourself a little allowance a weekly or monthly in order to have that splurge maybe once a month? Yeah, I mean, the way I would address that, I would bring it for me personally, finances has never been the struggle. Mm -hmm. For me personally, it's caloric intake. So okay. the way I would bring it back to is um, your cheat days cannot yeah. eliminate previous good day or another good day. And so if you're going to indulge, do not indulge in so much debt that it takes you forever to pay it back. Like mm -hmm. indulge a little bit within the bracket of money that you have available. So mm -hmm. you don't forget about it. You enjoy it and you move on. Mm -hmm. So it really comes back to, you got to have that money saved up if you're going to spend it. Yes. Okay. That's awesome. You kind of led into the next item, which was that I talk about is check your statements and your receipts. Okay. And so what I mean by that is um, if you're a busy professional and I've fallen into this and recently I'm changing it was um, as a receipts handed to me at a restaurant or something, I just give them my credit card. I don't even look at it. Yes. And it's because like I've had a good experience. I know I have the money and it's the principle of it. It's bleeding by a thousand cuts. So mm -hmm. how many times I've checked an invoice, a receipt, and there was a discrepancy. Right. And so going forward, I just have a commitment to myself now that I'm going to check every receipt that's handed to me and just make sure that the services I'm being charged for is uh, are things that we consumed. Mm -hmm. And then my bank statements, credit card statements, I want to make sure that I'm checking them. And there's a few reasons for that. One, 
if there's a mistake or an issue, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to see it. Yes. And often I think what really helps me is I see expenses that are occurring that I've already forgotten about, but are no longer important to me. And it makes me acknowledge the fact that I should probably address that. I should cancel that subscription. I should, yes. I should stop, you know, whatever it is, because I've forgotten about it. I'm not utilizing it. Mm-hmm. I'm not reading the magazine. And by checking the bank statement, I've just saved, you know, $33 a month because I'm no longer paying for that subscription. And so this simple act of checking your receipts, checking your statements, it will protect you and it'll protect your money in the long run. Nice. Speaking of protection, tell me a little bit about the value you place on insurance. Yeah, in a really simple way. Insurance, the things you want to pay money for are the things that you can afford the cost of the payments, but you can't afford to replace it. And so what I mean by that is you want to make sure you have car insurance. You want to have life insurance. You want to have disability insurance, home insurance. Um, We're lucky in Canada. We don't have to have, you know, like health insurance, insurance, Mm -hmm. but essentially it's you're paying insurance for things that if happened would set you so far back Mm -hmm. that it would take you too long to recover. Or might devastate you. Might devastate you. Mm -hmm. It may look like a bunch of money is going out, but it protects you and all the hard work that you've put forward to accumulate it. And Mm -hmm. you cannot afford to replace it if lost. And I think that that actually, I mean, that idea of being insured and protected leads directly into the idea or the concept of talking openly about your finances, talking openly about um, what you're afraid of, some of this, from some of the things that we hear. (laughs) I mean, talking open about finances, same as, you know, previously when we were recording our our podcast for our coaching company is talking about your goals. It's Mm -hmm. verbalizing and posting and sharing makes you more accountable. So openly talking about your finances removes the fears of having a conversation about it. It keeps you more accountable to what you set because now you've told someone about it. But the most important thing that it does for me is, um, it engages conversations with people who are interested on it. And often I am discovering people that are so skilled, have so much experience and so much to offer me that can help me grow that if I had not verbalized my finances, our goals, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have met them on that level. Can I ask a clarifying question? Yeah. When you're talking about talking openly about your finances, are you talking about sharing sort of the details of your net worth with others? If That, that feels outside of my comfort zone. So I'd love to elaborate on that. I, I don't do that. I certainly know um, peers that I respect that have like dinner parties where they check in on their net balance sheets and they openly share it. And that's important to them and mm-hmm. it helps keep them accountable. Not so much for me. It's more for me of talking about the fact that my goal is to, you know, purchase an investment property in the next two years and putting it out there mm-hmm. and then allowing someone else when they see you two months down the road to bring it back up and be like, how's it going? You know, like, where are you on that path? Mm-hmm. And also challenges. So, you know, from an investment perspective, finances could relate to um, having challenges with tenants or issues with, you know, problems in the buildings and expenses that are coming up. And so instead of shivering at home being, oh my God, my, you know, fourplex needs a $30,000 roof, you're talking about it. And then amazingly through that conversation, you meet someone that talks about, you know, their uncle's a roofer in that town where you have a fourplex and that expense went from 30,000 to Mm 20,000. And now you have a roofer for life that can help you in that town. And you just save 30% of the expense. Mm -hmm. So that came from open conversation about finances, be it opportunity or risk. Great. 
When we talk about getting real and getting right with our finances and with our habits, we might be talking about some skeletons in the closet. And I think a lot of people, myself included, may have come from an experience or a background where they didn't, they were head in the sand. They didn't have really great habits um, and they might have done some damage to their credit score. So tell me a little bit more about your belief around staying engaged and staying on top of your credit score. I think everyone, and there's so many platforms out there right now that for like little money down or no money down, you know, you can create a monthly credit check report that is emailed to you. Mm -hmm. And so you can see, you know, where are you on your credit standing? You can verify that all the debts that they have associated to you are in fact true, mm -hmm. that the payments are correct. And you can make sure that you're aware of, of where you're sitting on your credit score. The cool part with that is that it causes conversations. So, you know, there's things that people do that they don't recognize really work against them. Mm -hmm. You'd be surprised how many people I talk to in my investing coaching that I do for um, real estate investing, where folks are so proud of the money that they've saved up in an RSP or a TFSA waiting for this property they want to purchase. And then later you discover they have, you know, they're 10% over, over on their credit card and they're carrying debt. And what they don't realize, even if you're over on your credit card by like $500 on a $10,000 credit, that overage affects your credit score so much, so mm. much. And you could set yourself back, you know, half a year in order to clean that up. Wow. And there's people that have the money sitting in their TFSA and they have debt on their credit card and they're paying the minimum on the credit card, but they're proud of the money they put aside. Wow. So the credit report is giving you a number. It's giving you a scaling of how you're positioned versus other people and whether that's a, a good medium or, a, you know, a great rating or a bad rating. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I think it's something you should constantly be aware of. You should be periodically reviewing. I, in my email box, I get a monthly credit report that's sent to me every month. I probably open it up maybe every three to four months. Mm -hmm. And so it's not something I study. It's more, it comes to me and if I wanna see it, I can. And periodically I look at it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just a checkpoint. Awesome. I'd love to move the conversation around more goal setting, um, setting financial, and investment goals. Yeah, I mean, we've touched on a little bit previously with um, tell people about your finances, mm -hmm. tell people about your goals. And so if you're really, you're, if you're committed, if, you're, if something's important enough to you that it, it's your retirement plan, it's your passion, mm -hmm. put it down on paper, share it to yourself. And one thing that I started doing a few years ago at our brokerage at Keller Williams Realty Van Central that we both work at is um, we have a, a leadership coaching session that all our agents come to and they do business planning for the next year. And part of that is setting their financial and investing goals. And part of that is writing a letter to yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's a letter that all of us write in December of a given year that we're going to put in a safe and then we open it up the following business planning session. Yeah. And so in this letter, the concept is that, you know, if I came across you on the street and I asked you, how's it going, Connie? And you were giving me your story about how your life is a nine out of 10 in all areas from your financials to your personal, mm -hmm. describe what that looks like in your financial world. Mm -hmm. And so you're talking about the end result of what has achieved on your goals of investing in your finances. And then you can work it backwards from there. So if your goal is like, hey, I bought a place in Whistler, I'm loving it, I'm going up every two weekends skiing it, and it's a smart investment, it's covering itself. Um, if that's in your letter, you're able to, 
you know, figure out what are the steps that I need in order to put in place to get there. Awesome. And if I share that with other people, I'm that much more likely to kind of do the small things to lead me there. And it all, I mean, this is all feeding into the net worth, the budget, the idea of, and we touched on it really, really briefly when we were talking about the budget, but I'd love to elaborate on the idea and the concept of paying yourself first. Yeah. I mean, so many amazing books have been written out there about paying yourself first. And there's kind of the typical rule that if you could just take 15% of your gross pay, put Mm -hmm. it aside first and foremost, and then the rest of the money is focused on covering your needs and your expenses and your passions, Mm -hmm. that 15%, there's the most powerful force in the world is not gravity. It's not debt. It's compound interest. It's just a matter of when you apply it and if you apply it. Mm -hmm. And so that's the principle behind that. And a secondary level to that is if you can spend a great number of years, and it only needs to be like five or six years, Mm -hmm. living a lifestyle where you are leading a life of, of expenses based on needs and not on wants, it gets so easy. And so what I mean by that is if you live beneath your threshold of earning, Mm-hmm. you're able to just, you know, start saving mm-hmm. so much quicker and you yes. apply it. Yes. And there's a compounding effect to that that is going to create such great dividends mm-hmm. that allows you to constantly going forward, live beneath your means yes. be- without really putting a lot of effort into it. Are you ready to build a stronger financial future but don't know where to start? Connect with our advisors with Prometheus Private Advisory Group. We commit to understanding where you are financially today and where you want to be tomorrow. By providing you the knowledge, tools, and guidance through achievable objectives, we can help reach your financial goals quicker. For more information and a free consultation, email ben.chan at ppagroup.ca. A stronger financial future starts today. One of the ways that uh, when we talk about living a way in which you're, as you're saying, living below your means, but also just getting a little bit more strategic or intentional with the ways that you're spending money. One thing I remember an awesome colleague of mine back in the day when we worked at Bell Canada shared with me, and uh, she was just the most hilarious woman. And she had these like very old school uh, sayings. And she, I remember her saying this to me and I will never forget it. She said, you know, Connie, poor people pay twice. Poor people pay twice. And I said, what does it mean? Like, tell me more about what that means to you. And she said, well, think about it. You go and you buy that cheap pair of shoes. And you buy that cheap pair of shoes. And sure enough, six months later, the shoes are splitting. They're broken. They're worn. They look terrible. Versus being strategic, saving your money, and buying a really nice pair of shoes that you still have 10 years later that you deliberately take to the cobbler to have resold because they're, they're so well-made. And I think that there is something to be said for that as it relates to certainly avoiding a wants purchasing lifestyle, which is, which is really powerful. The concept of living with a budget and also, you know, one of the ways in which you, I know really kind of focus in on is the idea of repairing, reducing your expenses, reusing items and your last option buying new. So I think if you could share a little bit about that particular financial habit. Yeah, I think it's a real myth out there of our generation that it's not worth fixing. Mm -hmm. Like how many times have I gone to an appliance store buying appliance and, you know, their statement is, oh, you know, in six years, you're going to replace this anyhow. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and there's a little bit of a society 
challenge out there where there's less and less repair companies. Repairs often cost so much, but mm -hmm. you know, the focus constantly from my shoes, my good shoes that I get recobbled to um, appliances that I have at home or investment properties is I'm not trying to be cheap for the sake of like not willing to spend money. I just want to be frugal for the sake of can we repair it? Yes. And is the repaired outcome just as good as what it was before? Yes. And indirectly that like helps the environment it creates you know less wastage mm -hmm. and often it's less impactful on the people that are affected by it because in the place of an appliance and investment property we're not needing to move an appliance in and appliance yeah. out it's more you bring a repair person in and they are able to fix it and you move on with your life yep but a lot of times i think in our world right now when something is broken the first step is going on ebay and what's a brand new version of it mm -hmm. ebay wow you're going old school the idea of, of I of, do all the shopping at the house. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of saving money and sort of that concept of a dollar saved as a dollar earned is something that is one of the fundamental principles of the financial model of many successful business people. And I think that that feeds into the other fundamental principle of successful and financially successful people, which is finding ways to generate passive income. And I think you've really, you've certainly inspired me and many people around you, Roland, in the ways in which you have gotten intentional around the generation of passive income. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, you either have time or you have money as a resource, typically, right? Mm -hmm. So early in your, in your life, perhaps you have less money, but more time. And so there's a way of applying that time into an opportunity that gets you some type of ownership, some type of leverage that mm -hmm. will give you a dividend of, of some type. Yes. And then later in life, if you're working hard and you have some luck and success and you have leftover money yes. and you want to find ways of leveraging that money, there are so many ways of finding passive income. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like growing a tree, planting yes. a tree. You, yes. know, you plant the seed, you plant a seedling. Yeah. In the first few years, it doesn't look impressive, but 30 years down the road, everyone is mesmerized by the tree that you planted. So- it's a, it's a powerful concept and one that is so often overlooked and uh, disregarded. And I think about it even in our brokerage world where um, where we work in an organization that does something called profit sharing, where we are, we are literally sharing as brokerage owners, 48% of the profits of the organization are being shared with the realtors in our office that are contributing to our growth. And tell me what company you work for that will literally pay you passive income for simply being an ambassador for for the organization an ambassador for the company and doing your work and you know one of the things that i've started to get really intentional about is tracking and setting metrics and goals for that passive revenue last year not in my ownership capacity but in my capacity as simply an agent in the brokerage i earned over five thousand dollars in passive income now, $5,000 might not seem like a lot of dollars, but this is four years in. Mm -hmm. I'm excited by the opportunity in 15 years, in 20 years, when that passive income looks like, you know, potentially 30, 40 or $50,000 of passive income. And we have examples of people in this organization that are earning this and, and many organizations, in fact, that people are a part of that, that this can be a key piece of your financial puzzle and your net worth sheets. And that I think is a very nice segue to talk a little bit more about the financial safety net, the idea of having an emergency fund. 
Can you speak to what might be some good habits around savings for the rainy day and the emergencies? Yeah, I mean, I would take myself back to anyone that's 40 years and older. You've, in the last 12 years, you've experienced COVID Mm -hmm. and you experienced, you know, 9-11 and 2009. And so there's been three moments where before that business was humming, you know, you never had a question about your employer being able to pay your job. And then something happened where it instantly, you know, you get a pain in your tummy and you're like, what if... I don't have a job Mm -hmm. and ask yourself, how much money did you have saved up at that point? Did you have enough reserves saved up that you had savings in the bank that you could operate your lifestyle, Mm -hmm. be it a single person in an apartment renting or be it a person with four kids that's, you know, got multiple expenses. Yes. And if you didn't back then, do you now? And if you don't have the savings now, Now's the time to fix that. Like mm-hmm. it might take, it's going to take you a long time if you don't have savings in the bank account to cover your lifestyle, yes. save one month. But if you can get to three months, mm-hmm. that's a pretty comfortable thing. And if you can establish an emergency fund of six months of your lifestyle, mm-hmm. that puts you in such a comfortable opportunity. Yes. And I would say that puts an average person into a world where they can take advantage of opportunities that often only the rich and wealthy can do. And what okay. I mean by that is like when COVID hit in um, you know March of 2019, or 2020. 2020. <laughs> I know we're all trying yeah, to forget 2020, yeah. but. 2020. Um, you know, the natural reaction um, with, with my wife and I when we were talking was like, if all things go sideways, you know, what do our finances look like? Yes. And we were very fortunate that we had savings in the bank and yeah. we had many months of savings available. Mm-hmm. And so I felt comfortable that, you know, whatever happens, I will find a way through it. And the reality is, as time was migrating within weeks to a couple months opportunities came where we we purchased properties during covid yes because we had savings that allowed us to feel comfortable and opportunities came up where folks who didn't have savings Mm -hmm. were so fearful yes that they made erratic moves yes and it was in their best interest because it allowed them to sleep at night so it's not like they were taken advantage of, but it, like they were going to make that transaction and it allowed us to purchase another investment property. Mm-hmm. And that came from having an emergency fund of, you know, three to six months that allows you to make smart decisions versus erratic decisions in a time of fear. Mm-hmm. In closing, I'd love to talk a little bit about end of estate planning, end of life planning, it's often not something that we enjoy thinking about. And as young people, we may not be thinking about it at all. But as we're getting into middle age, so to speak. Are you older than me? I think you're older. Only by a year. And, uh, you know, we're starting to think a little bit about estate planning and future planning. And a huge part of that planning process is actually documenting your desires for what happens with your investments and with your estate upon your death. Yeah. Point number 14, make a will. And you'd be amazed. I'm throwing it out there, but I think less than 50% of people have a will. And I'm going to take that from a lot of my friends. Do you have a will, Will? Will, do you have a will? (laughs) And um, that's our awesome podcast producer. We're going to talk about the pod father. Yeah, the pod father. You need a podcast? He's the man. Um, I don't know if he has a will though, so you may have to work on that. But a will, the reason you want a will is it protects your intentions of how you want your your personal mm-hmm. processing occurring. And most importantly, you've worked so hard to set money aside, to 
you know, to to prepare for the people that you love and trust and care for. Yes. And then if you don't leave a document that directs the people to distribute it, mm-hmm. you lose control and other people step in and they're going to try their best, but it often causes conflict. And the biggest thing that we see as realtors, Connie and myself, is that, you know, in a time of emotions, often siblings or family members they, they become entangled mm. in the emotions when there isn't a will because yes. they all have a different idea. They all come often from the right mindset. They're trying to do their best, but they're they're coming up with their own story. Oh, there's also, there's so many more things involved, including, you know, grief and past trauma and regrets. And I could get, I could get deep into lots of the reasons why some of us don't have great financial habits because there is quite a bit of that at play. And I think that, I think, Roland, you've touched on today 14 amazing habits that someone who is interested in getting into investing in a very serious way can really get real and get right with. And even if you're an active investor right now, I think this is a great opportunity for you to look at some of these key points and think, where can you improve? Where can we retool? Or where can you reevaluate? You know, did you did you get a will done 15 years ago and <laughs> with a potentially a totally different portfolio and 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 maybe a different family let's be honest <laughs> thank you so much gang Thanks, for everyone. for sitting down with us today it's been a pleasure take care